Welcome to Out With Dan, the podcast that spotlights and examines the voices of LGBTQ authors, characters, and our allies. Together, we lift our voices and we tell our stories. I'm Dan White. Join me as I chat with this week's author. Hello and welcome back to Out With Dan. Today, I'm excited to talk to Jobert Abueva about Boy Wander. Hi, Jobert. Hello, Dan. It's it's great to be with you today. Thank you. I'm excited. I loved this memoir. It's, you. You're welcome. So you were born in the Philippines. Is that right? That is correct. Um, oh, my goodness. Uh, back in the 60s. <laughs> uh, Good time. Was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> born to lovely parents. My father was an assistant professor at the University of the Philippines. My mom um, was actually one of his students. <laughs> oh, all right now. <laughs> so <laughs> it started with an academic on-campus romance. And I'm the second of four children. I have an older sister than myself, then a sister and a brother. I love it. I love it. So um, I know that you lived in and out of the Philippines. So uh, about how long all total were you in the Philippines? Then I want to get to all the other fun places you've lived. Sure. Even though I was born there, we immediately moved to Honolulu and Brooklyn. So subtract three years. And then <laughs> I went back for a few more years. And then we went later to Kathmandu, Bangkok and Tokyo. So I would say uh, probably not even 10 years when you add everything up throughout my life. So you you were transferred a lot because of your dad's job. Is that right? That's correct. Uh, I, I describe him as a roving academic. So he used to be quite uh, active in local politics. He was a uh, political science and uh, uh, public administration expert who supported different presidencies. But when martial law happened under Ferdinand Marcos, that kind of changed the trajectory of things. And before we knew it, he was working for the Ford Foundation in Kathmandu, Nepal, and told us to follow him there. And he did that via <laughs> telegram. So, so that's how we left the Philippines. And oh, it just wow. kind of snowballed from there. <laughs> you know, because so I'm curious about that. So um, you were a child when martial law came into being. Do you remember, did that affect any parts of your life? I mean, and I ask that almost naively because that's not something I've dealt with. So I'm curious, do children feel it as much as, say, an adult? I would say we definitely felt it. Besides the fact that my father was quite politically involved and was in hiding for a while. You know, when martial law happened, they turned off all of public media. All the newspapers, all the TVs went dark. And then they started to build it up with uh, government-backed propaganda-type programming. And, and so the, the messaging was starting to skew, and we had curfews. So you had to you know, logistically make sure you were in, at home by midnight. Otherwise, you, know, you had the potential of being arrested and killed. So, so we were really being careful about our movements and also what we said, because we also knew that phones were being tapped. So, oh, wow. yeah. Um, so that was a, a bit of a scare. And, you know, I, I'm just glad we were able to have the opportunity to live abroad and not be so mired in the, the local uh, conflict. 
Um, but suffice it to say, it, it has been uh, an issue. It has really hurt the Philippines historically. It's funny because there's a Broadway show that just came out called Here Lies Love. It actually oh. follows Imelda Marcos and her husband, Ferdinand Marcos, throughout their years and all the, the negative things that happen as a result of their power. And, and then in the end, you know, we had what was called people power, where, you know, under uh, Cory Aquino, uh, we came back to something of more normalcy, if you will. But again, the Philippines is a wonderful place to be from. It's culturally rich. It definitely has had a direct influence on me. And in a way, it's chaotic aspect of being under the Spaniards for 300 years and then under the Americans for 50 years and even under the Japanese for a while. Um, you get a whole amalgam, a whole mix of uh, cultural uh, quirks and idiosyncrasies, which I, I carry along with me. <laughs> I, I find it unique. Some people spend their entire life on a farm or in the city and they never move. You had a, a, uh, an experience that was very different. So what was it like being in Kathmandu? Kathmandu was wonderful. I was what I was in fourth grade and we went to a British primary school um, that was headed up by, by three uh three elderly single women. Um, we got a fantastic education. And then, you know, just imagine you're walking to school uh, where you have sacred cows roaming the streets <laughs> and you're trying to avoid them. You're not supposed to touch or hurt them. And so it was this rich experience of living in a, a Hindu kingdom. Uh, but I was also amongst expatriate classmates and friends. In fact, as you well know, I, I talk about my 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 best play buddies, uh, you know, the girls from Denmark and the friend from Australia and how we kind of formed our, our little um, uh, group, our little play group, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I know you were there because your dad was a professor. Were the other kids there because they their parents were with the Ford Foundation? They were there because for different reasons, uh, okay. business people, diplomats, uh, people working for NGOs. And that's been the experience I've had. And whether it's in Nepal, Thailand, and even in Japan, you, you, you end up growing up with uh, quite a diverse mix of folks from all over the world there for different reasons. And they even have a term for us that I mentioned called third culture kids, mm -hmm. where you're growing up not in your native land. And so that presents its own set of opportunities and challenges <laughs> growing up. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to the end. Uh, what is it? The entrepreneurial part soon. <laughs> All right. <laughs> or enterprising. That's the word I was looking for. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> I love that phrase just really caught me because I thought, wow, I think I was just the opposite. I gave mine away for free. I wasn't very enterprising. <laughs> uh, so you ended up going to school in Japan. That's right. Yeah. Right. Moved How in like eighth that? grade, yes, eighth through twelfth grade, and went to St. Mary's International School, which was is an all boys Catholic uh, international school run by the Brothers of Christian Instruction from Montreal, Quebec. So uh, it was quite an experience. Um, I can imagine. Under it was. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, 
how was growing up Catholic? And so, and I, I'm, I'm asking that because I really want to use the phrase that I think, because I grew up in a religious household and it, there was so much emphasis on being a good boy. And oh, I yeah. think that that is something that at least from reading your book that I assume was something that was a big influence on you. Um, as a gay boy, um, how was being a good boy was that very important to you? It was beyond important. I had to live up to the great expectations of my parents who were devout Catholics, my father being an academic. My mom was like this slave driver, you know, making sure I, I was on top of my homework, that I was performing well. She cherished every top 10 honor roll, most courteous, whatever award I won, she made sure it was nicely kept in the scrapbook. And so I just equated that if that's what made her happy, I've just got to keep achieving and living up to this, this ideal sense of self. And in a way, I perhaps unwittingly was doing that because I knew inside that something was different about me, that perhaps they would not want to know about mm. uh and so i had to keep that hidden so maybe i over overcompensated and i think that's a fair thing to say that is a theme overcompensation i agree and i do find that that i think that happens with a lot of gay people or at least that's what i you know in talking to different people that's one of the things that i surmise that you know not everyone wants to be a good boy but for some of us that became such an important role it also, I believe, and you'll let me know if you feel differently, I also think that makes us become very good secret keepers, especially when the secret is about us. Very good secret keepers and very good liars, right? Okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, well, fine. Call me out here, bro. <laughs> so, well, when I say that, you know, if, if you're doing something covert that yes. is not supposed to be happening, then you 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 make up stories about where your whereabouts and yes. who you were with. And, and so it, it was this constant game of trying to get my story straight so that my parents wouldn't know what I was actually doing after school. Um, and, and so which is tied to why I worked so hard in school and was like this big man on campus doing mm -hmm. every extracurricular activity imaginable uh, because there was what I was trying to hide as well. So I had an alibi, if you will, for whatever my true movements and activities were otherwise. And and sort of like um, Blanche Dubois says in Streetcar Named Desire, you became to rely on the kindness of strangers while you were in Tokyo. <laughs> is that right. a fair assumption? I, I, I guess we're going to go there. Yes. <laughs> well, that is what the book is about. So I, again, I always use the word unwittingly, but I, I did find myself uh, in a scene at the Imperial Hotel, uh, a prestigious hotel in Tokyo, where when you walk the underground shopping arcade, you would find out there that there was quite a bit of traffic. Mm -hmm. And what really was happening was it was a pickup spot. And it was really more a, a pickup spot of foreign male guests looking for male companions. Yes, uh, and it I... wasn't necessarily females. There might have been the straight female, but it was mostly male. Mm. And it's um, I, it still goes on, you know. It's it. This is a 
there's somebody in the book says something about prostitution is the oldest uh, profession in the world. Profession. And it is true because, and it's not just, it's not about prostitution so much as it is a connection with other human beings. I, I don't want to oversimplify it, but I do think that the reason one person is attracted to another is it can just be sex, but it also could be simply companionship, which brings something very different to the equation. I, I fully agree. And I was not originally looking for the money, right? I was looking, I was trying to learn about myself and knew that, that I had a desire to connect uh, with someone of the same sex. And it just happened to be the context for where this was actually presenting itself, right? <laughs> so so you, you engaged and then the money came along, but I also talk about, it wasn't just all about the money. Uh, there were times when I connected uh, very well with what I would call mentor types, mm -hmm. folks who I, you know, I did not know much about the gay world or the world in general that I, I wanted an adult perspective and someone with wisdom and interest <laughs> in me to, to, to share. And, yes. and that's what I really valued. And, you know, I talk about certain characters in the book who, who provided that to me and uh, just really was so integral to uh, my development, if you will. Well, and I agree. I think that especially in the age we're talking about coming up, uh, pornography was a little more pervasive here in the U.S. than it was there. One of the things that <clears throat> that I noticed you mentioned in the book is you could get an adult magazine, but you had to get it from a vending machine. Oh, dear Lord, I would never have seen one then had that been the case for me. For us, it was the 70s and there was a lot of freedom and, you know, they were part of the people were like out and proud, not necessarily gay, just humans in general were out and proud. And then there were those that were stuck in the rigidity of the 50s and it's 20 years or 30 years later. But I think it makes it very difficult or makes it very different when you don't have someone with whom you can really share. So I think finding right. someone a little older is something that it, it appeals to a lot of us when we're younger. I, I agree. And again, uh, those were the folks I came across. Um, and maybe, maybe in retrospect, uh, you know, I, I did have a thing for older men. I, I guess it would have, been, would have been difficult. And I tried to engage with folks my age, but that, you know, I was in a bit of a homophobic teenagers, right? Yeah, Teenage course. environment and um, that's not going to fly. Although how far we've come when you have shows like Heartstopper. <laughs> <laughs> right. Or, I mean, how, how the world has changed uh, in, in decades. Right. Yes. Uh, and, and it just, it was just such a different time. Uh, it was tough to be yourself. It was tough to come out. It, it was just tough all around. And so you had to be industrious or <laughs> be creative in, in how you, you sought um, to express yourself and learn about yourself. Yeah, I agree. And I think that it's, it's one of those things that it's so, it would have been so easy to just sequester ourselves and be really, really locked down unless you're an adventuresome type. I know that with my friends, I might've had crushes, but you know, the, the fear of being outed or exposed in a, a smaller school it's something that once it happens, you simply can't get away from it. I mean, I was taunted and called on 
awful lot of things in, in high school, but being called and being known, that's very different. So I, Correct. I think there comes in our secret adventures. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So, um, you know, this is, this is the reality of mm -hmm. how I came out to myself and started to learn about uh, in, interacting with other folks uh, in this regard. Um, I, I will tell you, and I just want to assure everyone that <laughs> I have left that profession long, long time ago. I left it in my high school career. When I came to, call, to America for college, it, it pretty much ended. Uh, but, you know, it, it was interesting how it just all came together. And, you know, I talk in the book about before I get to Ann Arbor, Michigan, for my first year, I spent some time in Manhattan. And it's 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 just this uh, whirlwind of events and happenings and watching certain Broadway shows that, that woke me up to the reality of early 1980s gay life in America, right? Uh, and And some of the challenges and things I had to reconsider about being so openly out, uh, fear of you know gay bashing, and then you know we started to have that that looming threat of AIDS, uh, and and whatnot. So um, in a way, it it just shifted my perception completely. From you could argue that in Tokyo I was a little more you know, free-spirited and <laughs> maybe I would have continued to blossom there, if you will, uh, uh, being gay, well, but it, it <laughs> when I came to America. Or you might have owned your own agency of other people to go out and do the bidding for you. <laughs> oh, oh the, the very entrepreneurial, but no, I, I, I hear you, but I, I never went that route. But, but I do want to share a very, if, if I may, a very interesting yeah. story because, um, uh, I just uh, spoke with uh, a friend in Tokyo, and he told me that the Imperial Hotel, even way back after World War II, when the GIs were, were living at the Imperial Hotel, staying there, they actually would bring male companions back from the nearby park. And a lot of these Japanese men that were with the GIs used the money they earned from these encounters to open up some of the first gay bars in Tokyo. I love in, it. In the Shinjuku Nichome uh, part of Tokyo. So it's interesting that, you know, there's a bit of this narrative throughout the decades and years of places like the Imperial Hotel being part of LGBTQ history in Japan. And my story is just one part of that ongoing <laughs> saga, if you will. <laughs> well, and I also want to, I do want to celebrate something because I, I don't want anyone who listens to this to think, anyway that either of us and it's not my story it's yours but I, neither of us feel that this is a bad thing this is this is a good thing and this is how you progressed in your life and so it's it certainly is nothing in a negative way it is simply a storytelling of where you've been and i do celebrate that and i'm very serious about that because it's important for all of us to tell our story of how we got to where we are today and we're still here so it's important that we remember there's a quote and I will not try to quote it because I will goof it up. But I, I think at the maybe at the forward of your book, it talks about if we can't remember our past, we can't really form who we are today. That is correct. Those were the words you paraphrase from Dr. Jose Rizal, who is the Philippines uh, national hero. I, I am so 
thankful that I, I got to write the book. Uh, it enabled me to confront a lot of, um, you know, early day issues, incidents that happened to me. Uh, it allowed me to be truly, and I say brutally honest with myself about my past. And I try not to see it as negative. It is my story. We, you're yes. right, Dan. We all have our own unique stories, and they all matter. They do. They really do. And and I will also say that it's wonderful when we're brave enough to do what we want to do in our early life, our midlife, our late life. It is it is our story. It's our life. And if we don't honor that then we become stuck in our own closet or our own box or our own shame. And there's no need of that because whatever went on yesterday or earlier this morning, it may impact today or tomorrow, but it should never be with shame. It is who we are. Amen. And, <laughs> and I, right, don't, I'm going to preach now in a minute. So <laughs> I did. I, so I really loved it because there were so many things that you shared with in your book that I really did identify with. And I was like, this is just amazing. And it's an important story to be told. Thank you so much. You're welcome. On a lighter note, what's your favorite place you've ever lived? Oh my goodness. I have had the opportunity to live in so many places, even as an adult. And I, I even talk about my nomadic childhood informed this nomadic adulthood. Oh, I love going back to Tokyo a lot, and I'm going to go back for my 40th high school reunion in a few weeks. Yay. So, yay and scary. So, <laughs> we'll see how that goes. And I'm staying at the Imperial Hotel. But <laughs> Are you really? Yeah. Oh. I mean, just, just for fun and just really? to, yeah, to, to just, you know be on the other side of the I'm, I'm not going to try and pick up anyone. That's not what I'm suggesting. <laughs> just, just, you know, going back to the, the, the scene of the crimes, the old crimes, but um, yeah, I answer Tokyo. Uh, I, I, I enjoyed uh, living in London. I've been going to Paris back lately. I have friends there, um, but I'm happy to say, and I truly mean this honestly, Everywhere I go in the world is is a wonderful adventure. There's always a surprise, and there's always something you know uh, valuable to bring back in terms of a memory or a thought. I I totally agree. I've been so blessed to have been so many places in my life. They've all been different. They smell different. They taste different. The experience is different. Occasionally, one of them is like, oh, okay, I don't really need to do this again. <laughs> Right. But for the majority of time, I think if we go with an open heart, we get surprised by something fun. Absolutely. And once again, this is something fun. It's called Boy Wonder. And do you have a, a website or social media you would like to share? Oh, thank you for asking. So, yes, my website is jobertabueva.net, no right. middle initial E. Uh, on Facebook, it's Jobert E. Abueva. And on Twitter, it's now X, it's Jay Abueva. <laughs> and um, Instagram is Jobert un, um, underscore Abueva. So you can never get it uh, consistent, but no. um, they're on my website and you, you can look me up and I'd be happy to engage with readers. I love it. I love it. Once again, it is Boy Wonder. And I do like the fact that it's, uh, when I first saw the book, I thought it was Boy Wonder, like Robin. And uh -huh. then when I noticed it was Wonder, I'm like, I loved that even more. So congratulations, Joe Burt. This is a wonderful read. Highly suggested. 
Thank you so much, Dan. Real pleasure. Thank you. Hang on for me just a second. Thank you for joining me for this week's episode of Out with Dan. You can find more information about this podcast and its host at outwithdan.com, on Twitter at outwithdan, and on Instagram and Facebook at gooutwithdan. This podcast is hosted by Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, and the theme music is provided by bensound.com. Join us again soon for the next episode of Out with Dan.